You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. I recently discovered YouTube videos. Um, uh, yeah, I'm, 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 a, I'm, a, I'm a late adopter, um, so I'm not, uh, I'm not an early uh, thing. So, but I, I came across one that I thought was interesting. It's a short clip. It's only 30 seconds. Um, but I, I actually have it. They've got loaded back, so we're, we're actually going to watch it together. So watch this little clip, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about it here in a second. Okay, just, yeah, just repeats. Um, so, I, I don't know, what were your emotions as you were watching it? So, if you're like me, my first one, I first saw him throwing paint on, it's like, oh, geez, you know, one of these you know, fancy artists thing, and it's going to be a mess and call it art, you know, and so, you know, and, but as I'm watching him, there seems to be some intentionality to what he's doing, and I'm like, all right, what is it? And then all of a sudden, I see it, you know, it's like, there it is. There's that moment of recognition when you realize this is what he's trying to do. And actually, it's pretty cool how he's able uh, to do that and make, um, make something which looks like a, just a random colors, just kind of a mess. And, that, and by the time he's done, there's this really pretty cool picture um, of this horse and the, the movement of the horse and even just the, the frame and the, the muscles and everything. And it was just, it was just pretty cool. But there's this moment when it all kind of became clear, wasn't there? I was like, in fact, I even heard some of you go like, Oh, you know, or just you're, that, that moment when you recognize what it is that he's trying to do and, and appreciate the, the skill and the, the artist, the skill as the artist uh, that he has in, in putting that uh, on, the, on the canvas. I find that reading the New Testament book of John is similar. Now, we're starting a seven-week series on the seven miracles of Jesus in the book of John. And so for the next seven weeks, we're actually going to end on Easter Sunday with the last one. Um, in fact, in your worship guide is a devotional that's going to be going along with this. And so inside there's a, a devotional and the, uh, the sermon outline is in there as well. Um, but it's just something to be reinforcing what we're going to be talking about uh, for the next few weeks. Uh, so you reinforce that during your own quiet times in, in, in your own reading. So along with Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John is one of the four Gospels in the New Testament. And... Um, these provide a historical account of the life of Jesus. Then we have the book of Acts. Then we have all these letters from, John, from Paul and, and John and from Peter. There's different letters. But the Gospels are focusing primarily on the life of Jesus. Um, however, John is very different from the other three. Matthew, Mark, and Luke um, talk about Jesus. I mean, they, they share the similar stories. The primary sequence of the life of Jesus is the same. Um, and even some of the wording is word for word. You'll find in one and the other. So there's, some, there's a lot of similarity. And that's why we actually refer to the three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, as the synoptic gospels because of the similarities between them. As I read John, I find myself asking, just like with a painter, what in the world is he doing? 
Um, because in, in, the, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is all over Israel. He's in Galilee, he's in Samaria, he's in Judea, he's in Jerusalem. He's all over the place. In the book of John, with just a few exceptions, Jesus is only in Judea. And primarily, he's in Jerusalem. So almost the entirety of that book takes place in a very small location compared to the other Gospels. In the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus' ministry begins after John the Baptist is arrested and killed. In the book of John, John the Baptist and Jesus have um, convergent, or they actually overlap for a period of time. Um, in the book of John, there's a lot of, lot of emphasis on temple feasts. In fact, in the, and we see three separate Passovers celebrated in the book of John. So we know there's at least the three-year time period that's there. Um, in the Synoptic Gospels, Jesus is talking in parables and stories to make a point. And he's often talking about the kingdom of God. You know, the kingdom of God is like this. And he tells a story of uh, the person who lost the coin or the sheep and telling these stories to make his point. In the book of John, there are longer d- discourses. There's no parables. Um, and Jesus is talking and it's extended conversations between he and either an individual or a smaller group. And the focus of these isn't on the kingdom of God. It's on the mission of Jesus. Jesus has a mission and a purpose. So trying to understand John is, is in some ways trying, like trying to understand that painter when he starts throwing what appear to be just random colors up on the canvas. Until you get to the very end of the book of John. Literally, 26 verses before the end of the book, John says this. He said, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. And then we get to verse 31, which is kind of our overarching theme for this series. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. See, whereas the Synoptic Gospels tell the story of Jesus, that John attempts to interpret the person of Jesus. While the Synoptics start their letters with historical background, John starts his with, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's no history involved in there. But what he's saying is that Jesus, who we know as Jesus, the man, the prophet, the teacher, was back at creation. He is God. John was written to tell us that Jesus is not just a good teacher, nor is he just a moral leader on whom we pattern our life. Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. The seven miracles that are recorded in the Gospel of John are given as signs, signs to reveal who Jesus was and what he came to bring. So let's actually, the first miracle we'll look at here is from John chapter 2, and it's a story most of us are probably um, pretty familiar with, starting with verse 1, chapter, or verse, verse 1 through verse 11. Um, it's a story of Jesus turning water into wine. So let me, you can follow along on the screen or on uh, whatever you have in your lap, um, and I'll read for us. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. 
Dear woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My time has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. This the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, so very thankful for your word and for this um, episode that John brings to life. Talks in about this, uh, this miracle that Jesus performed at this wedding. Lord, as we dig a little deeper, help us to understand not just what was happening then, but uh, what you desire to happen in our own lives today. That this isn't just a story, just to read history, but that there is application, there's understanding of who you are and who you want to be for us as well. Uh, so Lord, again, we just thank you for this time and just invite you, Holy Spirit, to speak to each of us as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a typical first century wedding uh, consisted of a feast that lasted about five to seven days. Sounds like a lot of fun, isn't it? I mean, there's, there's food, there's music, there's dancing. It's a time of celebration. I mean, what a great, uh, a great thing to be a part of. We know that Jesus, his disciples, and Mary are there. Um, and actually, later on in the verse, outside this, we know that Jesus' brothers are also there, that Jesus had physical uh, family brothers. They were there as well. Clearly, this was a family affair. We don't know who was getting married, but we can tell just because of the fact that this, the fa entire family was there at Cana, that this was probably a cousin of Jesus. Some actually have speculated this might actually be one of Jesus' brothers who was being married, and that's why Mary was a little concerned about that. Uh, we can't really make that case, but it does, or there is consensus that that whoever the wedding was for, that Jesus and his family were a big part of that family relationship. This would also explain why Mary was concerned about running out of wine. Um, even though it may not have been her wedding or her, one of her kids' wedding, um, and even though she wasn't directly responsible, family pride was at stake. It would have been a huge, huge social embarrassment to run out of, run out of wine in the middle, literally in the third day of a wedding feast knowing you've got a couple more days to go. Um, and so this, was, this obviously had a, a family pride was at stake here. I think it's interesting to notice that Mary never actually asked Jesus to do anything. Her comment to him was, they have no more wine, period. That was it. She said no more to Jesus. Um, in fact, because of that, there's actually some discussion among some um, um, commentators as to what, did, what was she expecting Jesus to do? We're not given any inclination. Well, we don't know if she expected him to turn, you know, I don't think she knew what he was going to do. So 
I think it's just interesting that, that all she said to him is that they're out of wine, which is also more telling to Jesus's response. Um, and there's great consensus here as to why Jesus responded the way he did. Um, my time has not yet come. A couple things that tells us. One is until that point, Jesus hadn't been walking around um, doing little miracles around the home. You know, you know like, uh, you know, hey, Jesus, I can't reach that. Well, here, let me get that for you, you know, and levitates it down. You know, little things like that that would just, you know, that, wow, this is a really interesting child. You know, that hasn't been going on here because it's, it's, it's unknown at this point in time. But more importantly, what his response tells us, Jesus was very conscious was very conscious of the fact that once he revealed who he was, there was no turning back. Once he revealed who he was, he knew his public ministry would ultimately lead to a cross. It started the clock. Once he became known, the clock was ticking. Which begs the question, if Jesus' time had not yet come, why did he choose to get involved? Now, here's something that I found no commentator discuss. No one, no one does. Why? If, if he said, my time hasn't come yet, which, which seems to imply that God has not yet ordained for this to happen, that there's, some, there's something else here. Why did he actually go ahead and do that? There is some sense that his response or his action was, had to do with just social courtesy because it was his mom. Um, honestly, here's just my opinion. Here's what I think. We only know about this event in hindsight. In other words, John recorded it for us and looking back is what happened. John was very specific in telling us that except for a few servants, no one knew what happened. It's my, I think that, in other words, that Jesus was able to keep this quiet until his ministry did become public a few weeks later after this event. Again, I, we don't know. But there's just some interesting social dynamics going on here that, that John doesn't explain, but it does give us insight as to who Jesus was, how he thought, and why he did what he did. Regardless of how we understand the various behaviors of the people involved, however, John is very clear about why this event is important. At the end of the event in verse 11, he said, this is the first of his miraculous signs, again reinforcing his overall intent in his book. So, what does the sign of turning water into wine tell us? If this is a sign, what does the sign tell us? A few things it tells us. One, it revealed Jesus' divine nature. This is not normal behavior. Turning water into wine is not something the average person can do. So, it revealed the sense that there is a divine nature to Jesus. It also revealed that Jesus is concerned with the seemingly small stuff in our lives. I mean, sometimes we think about that. Does God is so busy? He's got all this stuff. He's got wars. He's got coronavirus. He's got all these things he has to deal with. Why would he be concerned about us running out of wine at a wedding? But I think the fact is, Jesus is concerned about the small things in our life as well. And I think this story helps to illustrate that. It also shows, shows us that Jesus came to bring transformation. That the, that the water to wine, that transformation is actually symbolic of what happens with our own hearts and our lives as we surrender our lives to him. And also it shows us that Jesus came to bring solutions for humanity's problems. <clears throat> so 
So why is this important for us today? So this is what he did, and this is what John says. This is the sign. This is what it says. Why, why does this matter? Well, let me, let me preface my response to that with this. And here at Grace Covenant, that we, we believe that there is a God who is a creator of the universe that isn't just random, that there is intentionality in creation. We also believe that our creator, God, loves us and is actively involved in our lives. That he didn't just wind it up and just let it go and he just sits back and watches it. He's still, to this day, today, is intimately involved in the lives of his people, his creation. Today, not just in history, but today in our lives as well that God is involved. Clearly, only God can perform miracles. But nearly every miracle has a human element to it. And we get to experience the miraculous when we partner with God. So with that best background, a few thoughts as to why this story about Jesus turning water into wine should matter to you and to me. My first thought is this. Obedience to God's word opens the way for God's work. For us, I believe the key to this entire story, this whole passage, rests in what Mary told the servants. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Um, most of you know that uh, our oldest son is getting married next month, <clears throat> and uh, first, uh, first weekend in April. And um, Betsy has uh, already ordered her uh, mother of the groom dress. And so she, this, she had this, actually probably got it back in December, when you got it, January, and um, um, took it to a, a seamstress to have it altered. A few things need to be adjusted. And she dropped it off on January 15th. And the woman said, come back next week. You know, so give her a week to 10 days or so and, and come back then. Betsy intentionally, because we've worked with this woman before, she waited three weeks. Three weeks. And then she calls and says, is my dress ready? Can I come pick it up? It's not ready yet. Can you come tomorrow? Or can you come in two days? In two days, is it ready? It's not ready yet. Can you come in two more days? Literally, I can show you 10 text messages and phone calls where she pushed it back 10 different times. After she said, here's the date, come, it'll be ready then. 10 different times she said, can you come back at this later date? Um, we finally picked it up on February 21st. More than five weeks after we dropped it off. Now, again, we'd used her before, so we knew this was going on, but it wasn't this bad the first time. Um, she does incredibly good work at a really, really reasonable price. And so there was, uh, but even knowing all that, as you can imagine, Betsy was getting very frustrated. Is this worth it? Is this frustration worth it? Is it, you know, is it just is this continually, because she would have to rearrange her schedule. All right, I'm going to come, and she rearranged some things. All right, and then that morning get a text saying, uh, can you come another day? And so it really was inconvenienced her in a number of ways, and she got her very frustrating. But here's what was interesting. Shortly before she actually picked up the dress, she, we were talking to me, she said, instead of wanting to go there and just ream her out and just like tell her, you know, that she's just doing this poorly and badly as, you know, what we, our natural inclination might be, she said, I think God is asking me to bring her flowers. Really? I, uh, that's different. 
Um, okay, and, and, and she did. And so she brought her flowers when she went to actually get in to pick up the dress. Um, here's, here's where I'm going with that. While I love what God is doing here amongst us as a group, and I really do, God is doing some really cool things amongst our group. And there's just such a, uh, in fact, the word, uh, as we were talking the other night, someone said there's just a sweetness about what God is doing amongst us. And there's this sense of God's favor. And I really, really do value that. But our value as a church is only as strong as the obedience to God for us as individuals. So as a group, it's one thing. But us as individuals, our obedience to God is what really is important. And so, so sometimes I wonder, do we even accept the idea that God wants to engage us? That on a daily basis, God wants to engage us. And are we willing to consider that God might be saying something to us? Do we actually listen to the course of the day? And do we give room and opportunity for the idea that, well, maybe that is God and not just some random idea? Do we have the courage to act on what we believe God tells us? Are we, will we be obedient even if it costs us some time and or money? Which leads me to my th- second thought about all this. <clears throat> is that as we partner with faith and action, the stage is set for God's work. You know, in sports, you have to put the ball in play before you know what's going to happen. You can practice for hours on end, for weeks and months, and practice, practice, practice. But until you actually play the game and put the ball in motion, you don't know what's going to happen. In basketball, you have to run the play. In baseball, the pitcher has to throw the ball to the catcher. In football, the ball has to be hiked or snapped to the quarterback in order for the play to happen. Here's the thing. Just like in sports, we have no idea what will happen until we take a step of faith. If, God, we, feel, if we feel God is asking us to take a step to do something, we can speculate all day long as to what we think might happen. But until we actually take the step, we will never know. We'll never know what we're missing out on and what God might want to do. I love this quote I came across. It says, before the water turned into wine, someone had to do the ordinary, tiresome task of filling the water pots. We want the new wine to just appear, but Jesus calls us to fill the jars first. In short, God often wants us to participate in our own transformation. Imagine if you were one of the servants that was there, and you hear Mary, while she's walking, she's leaving. As she's walking away, she says, just do whatever he tells you to do. And then, you know, so they're aware of this conversation that Jesus and Mary just had. They, They understand what's going on. And Jesus says, fill the pots with water. Okay. And we fill them with water. And now take some to the master of the banquet. Draw some of that out and take it to the master of the banquet. You got to wonder, all right, what, what is going through their minds? Has, has it changed color? You know, is it, what, what is, as they draw some out and as they're taking it, they're like, all right, here's a drink. Of what, what did they say to the master? They just hand it without saying anything and... What did, you know what I'm saying? Is that there's so much that what they, but they had to actually walk in that unknown. They had to actually do something that may have been uncomfortable, that was, maybe they just may have put them in an awkward position. But until they actually drew the water or the wine out of that jar and took it to the master of the banquet, 
nothing happened. Nothing happened until they actually took that step of faith. So what do you think happened with his seamstress when Betsy gave her the flowers? Now, I wish I could tell you that she fell on her knees right then and there and gave her heart to Jesus. <laughs> Actually, she had very little visual or verbal response. Not much, not much recognition. Uh, you know, she was polite and, and appreciative, but really not much there at all. Here's, I'm convinced of this. When we act in faith, we don't, or let's say we shouldn't predetermine the outcome. That's really not what's most important. The outcome is not what's important. And we shouldn't predetermine what we think will happen. Betsy will tell you that this incident was more about her than it was to seamstress. Her ability to hear the prompting of the Holy Spirit and then her willingness to actually act regardless of what the outcome might be. Faith and action go hand in hand. Neither one is good without the other. In fact, James tells us, goes so far as to say that faith by itself, it is, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Faith, if it doesn't accompany action, or if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Lastly, I think the third reason why this, this um, story of the turning water into wine is important for us is that the purpose for the miraculous is for God's glory, and so more people will believe. In verse 11, the passage we read, John says that when the disciples saw what Jesus did, they put their faith in him. You know, the longer I worked on this sermon, the more I came to realize I think we got the statement for number three wrong. Wrong in the sense that we didn't go far enough. Because again, if you go back if you go look back to the verse we read earlier, the overarching theme for kind of this series uh, from, from John chapter 20 says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. There's not a period there. There's a comma there. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Life in Christ is the reason. That's the motivation. It isn't just so that we'll believe, it's so that we'll have life in Christ. That's the goal for each of us. That's the ultimate reality here and now, each and every day. It isn't just that we're religious or that we're spiritually minded, it's that we actually experience life in Christ on a daily basis, hearing his voice, acting on it, and, and watching the adventure unfold as we do. You know, last week, I asked you to do something nice for someone. Remember? Anonymously. Remember that? I'm not going to ask you who did. But this week, I have another assignment for you. Another challenge, if you will. I'm going to ask you to start your each day this week with a simple prayer. And prayer is something like this. You can, you can say it however it works for you. But God, help me to hear the, the prompting of your spirit today. Start your day with this prayer. God, help me to hear the prompting of your Holy Spirit today. Maybe it's, and again, I'm not suggesting an audible hearing. Maybe it's a sensing. Maybe it's, maybe it's an in, intuitive understanding. Lord, help me to recognize your voice in my life today. Imagine what might happen if we began each day with such a prayer. 
And then imagine what would happen if we made a conscious effort to actually contemplate and to listen throughout the day. God, is that you? Is that, is that me? Is, but actually wrestling and trying to understand and discern that. And there is a learning curve. Let's be honest. Sometimes we feel that prompting and feel something. It's like, wait, is that me or is that? <laughs> it's funny. When talking with Betsy, I'll say, how do you know that was God? She said, there's no way that was my thought to take her flowers. <laughs> you know, so, uh, you know, so. But, but actually recognizing that. Say, hey, huh. And I, for me, I'm kind of learning more to just trust those things. When something comes to my mind, and sometimes it's some of you or sometimes it's someone else, and sometimes I'm just learning, so you know what? The reason that person came to mind, God, I don't know, but I'm going to pray for them. And, and, and I may not even let them know, but I'm just taking that as prompting. But, but throughout the day, just trying to say, God, is, are you here? Are you, are you working? Are you asking me to do something? Are you doing something? And then how can I be involved in that? That's living life in Christ. It's not being religious. It's not going through the motions. It's not doing all, even though the spiritual disciplines, as good as they are and as necessary and important as they are, there's so much more than just doing and saying and being the right things. It's life in Christ. It's experiencing life on a daily basis that really does make the difference. If we live this day, what would happen? What would change about our faith? What would change about the way we lived our life? By simply asking God, help me to hear the prompting of your spirit today. You know, it all begins when we surrender our life to Jesus Christ. It all begins there. And if you've already surrendered your life to Jesus, then begin the day with that simple prayer. God, what would you have me do? Or God, help me to hear your voice today. If you haven't done that yet, that would be the first step. Lord Jesus, I want to surrender my life to you. I want to live the life. I want life in Christ that we talked about here this morning. That's what I want for me. And surrender your life to Jesus and invite him to, to have that influence on your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for, Lord, the, the story that we have, this incident of the miracle of the turning the water into wine at, at the wedding. Lord, it's, uh, it's really significant to me that uh, it's interesting that this was probably an event that Jesus wanted to keep quiet. It's maybe probably why that even the other Gospels don't even record this event um, because of just Jesus wanting to do things in the proper time. Lord, what an amazing thing can happen when we put our life, we put our faith in Jesus and we do and act asked. We do what we're told. What amazing things can happen in our own lives, Lord, and through us as well, that we would be conduits, that we would be vessels that you would reveal your glory, that you would show others who you are. God, that's what we want to do. We don't want to just be good people who love Jesus. We want to be good people who love Jesus and through whom others can see Jesus as well. Lord, may we reflect you. May we be reflection of your glory. Uh, so Lord, this week, may we, each of us have that experience of recognizing your activity in our lives. Lord, I can't wait to hear the stories of what will happen. So in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.